0: Section 27. The Science History of the Universe. Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Science History of the Universe. Volume 3. Edited by Francis Rolt-Wheeler. Electricity. Chapter 8. The Telephone. Part 2. In 1877, Emil Berliner of Washington, D.C. filed a caveat, and later in the same year applied for a patent on a transmitter, depending upon a principle pointed out in articles published in 1856, 1864, and 1874 by the French scientist Dumoncelle, that if the pressure between two conducting bodies forming part of an electric circuit be increased, the resistance of the path between them will be diminished, and conversely, if the pressure between them be decreased, a corresponding increase of resistance will result. Berliner's transmitter is shown in principle in figure 37, which is a reproduction of the principal figure in his now famous patent. In this, A is the vibratory diaphragm of metal, against center of which rests the metal ball C, carried on a thumbscrew, B, which is mounted in the standard, D. The pressure of the ball, C, against the plate, A, can be regulated by turning the thumbscrew. The diaphragm and ball form the terminals, or electrodes, of a circuit, including a battery and receiving instrument. The action of this instrument, which at best has never been satisfactory or commercial, is as follows. When the diaphragm vibrates, the pressure at the point of contact, A, becomes greater or less, thus varying the resistance of the contact and causing corresponding undulations in the current flowing. Soon after this, Edison devised an instrument using carbon as the medium for varying the resistance of the circuit with changes of pressure. Edison's first type of carbon transmitter consisted simply of a button of compressed plumbago, bearing against a small platinum disc, secured to the diaphragm. The plumbago button was held against the diaphragm by a spring, the tension of which could be adjusted by a thumbscrew. A form of Edison's transmitter devised by George M. Phelps in 1878 is shown in figure 38. The transmitting device proper is shown in the small cut at the right of this figure and is enclosed in a cup-shaped case, formed of the two pieces A and B, as shown. Secured to the front of the enlarged head of the adjustment screw, E, is a thin platinum disc, F, against which rests a cylindrical button, G, of compressed lamp black. A plate of glass, I, carrying a hemispherical button, K, has attached to its rear face another platinum disc, H. This second platinum disc rests against the front face of the lamp-black disc G and the button K, presses firmly against the center of the diaphragm D. The plates F and H form the terminals of the transmitter, and as the diaphragm D vibrates, it causes variations in the pressure and corresponding changes in the resistance of the circuit, thus producing the desired undulations of current. Professor David B. Hughes made a most valuable contribution tending toward the perfection of the battery transmitter. By a series of interesting experiments, he demonstrated conclusively that a loose contact between the electrodes, no matter of what substance they are composed, is far preferable than a firm strong current. The apparatus used in one of his earlier experiments made in 1878, is shown in figure 39 and consists simply of three wire nails, of which A and B form the terminals of the circuit, containing a battery and a receiving instrument. The circuit was completed by a third nail, C, which was laid loosely across the other two. Any vibrations in the air in the vicinity caused variations in the intimacy of contact between the nails, and corresponding variations in the resistance of the circuit. This was a very inefficient form of transmitter, but it demonstrated the principle of loose contact very cleverly. It was found that carbon was, for various reasons, by far the most desirable substance for electrodes in the loose contact transmitter, and nothing has ever been found to approach it in efficiency and desirability. Another form of transmitter devised by Used and called by him the microphone, is shown in figure 39. This consists of a small pencil of gas carbon, A, pointed at each end, and two blocks, B and B, of carbon, fastened to a diaphragm or sounding board, C. These blocks are hollowed out in such a manner as to loosely hold between them the pencil, A. The blocks B and B form the terminals of the circuit. This instrument, though crude in form, is of marvelous delicacy and is well termed microphone. The slightest noises in the vicinity and even those incapable of being heard by the ear alone produce surprising effects in the receiving instrument. This particular form of instrument is in fact too delicate for ordinary use as any jar or loud noise will cause the electrodes to break contact and produce deafening noises in the receiver. Nearly all carbon transmitters of today are of the loose contact type, this having entirely superseded the first form devised by Edison, which was then supposed to depend upon the actual resistance of a carbon block being changed under varying pressure. In speaking of Professor Yu's work on loose contacts and the microphone, the Telephone Journal and Electrical Review, an English paper, says in its issue of July 1, 1878, "The microphone is a striking illustration of the truth that in science any phenomenon, whatever, may be turned to account. The trouble of one generation of scientists may be turned to the honor and service of the next." Electricians have long had sore reasons for regarding a bad contact as an unmitigated nuisance, the instrument of the evil one, with no conceivable good in it and no conceivable purpose except to annoy and tempt them into wickedness, and an expression of hearty but ignominious emotion. Professor Hughes, however, has with a wizard's power transformed this electrician's bane into a professional glory and a public boon. Verily, there is a soul of virtue in things evil. Unquote. Professor Hughes, in an article in Nature, June 27, 1878, thus describes the condition necessary for microphonic action. Quote, if the pressure on the materials is not sufficient, We shall have a constant succession of interruptions of contact, and the galvanometer needle will indicate the fact. If the pressure on the materials is gradually increased, the tones will be loud but wanting in distinctness. The galvanometer indicating interruptions. As the pressure is still increased, the tone becomes clearer, and the galvanometer will be stationary when a maximum of loudness and clearness is attained. If the pressure be further increased, the sounds become weaker, though very clear, and as the pressure is still further augmented, the sounds die out, as if the speaker was talking and walking away at the same time, until a point is arrived at where there is complete silence, Unquote. Only one radical improvement now remains to be recorded. In 1881, Henry Hunnings devised a transmitter wherein the variable resistance medium consisted of a mass of finely divided carbon granules held between two conducting plates. His transmitter is shown in figure 40. Between the metal diaphragm A and a parallel conducting plate B, both of which are securely mounted in a case formed by the block D and a mouthpiece F, is a chamber filled with the fine granules of carbon, C. The diaphragm A and the plate B form the terminals of the transmitter, and the current from the battery must therefore flow through the mass of granular carbon, C. When the diaphragm is caused to vibrate by sound waves, it is brought into a more or less intimate contact with the carbon granules, and causes a varying pressure between them. The resistance offered by them to the current is thus varied, and the desired undulations in the current produced. This transmitter, instead of having one or a few points of variable contact, is seen to have a multitude of them. It can carry a larger current, without heating, and at the same time produce greater changes in its resistance than the forms previously devised, and no ordinary sound can cause a total break between the electrodes. These and other advantages have caused this type in one form or another to largely displace all others. At first, the practice was to put the transmitter, together with the receiver and battery, directly in circuit with the line wire. With this arrangement, the changes produced in the resistance by the transmitter were small in comparison with the total resistance of the circuit, especially in the case of a long line, and the changes in current were therefore small. Edison remedied this difficulty by using an induction coil in connection with the transmitter. The induction coil used then and now is made as follows. Around a core formed of a bundle of soft iron wires is wound a few turns of comparatively heavy insulated copper wire. Outside of this, and entirely separated from it, is wound another coil consisting of a great number of turns of fine wire, also of copper and insulated. The transmitter, together with the battery, is placed in a closed circuit with the coarse winding of a few turns, while the fine winding of many turns is included directly in circuit with the line wire and the receiving instrument. The coarse winding is usually termed the primary winding, because it is associated with the primary source of current, the battery, while the fine winding is usually termed the secondary winding because the currents flowing in it at the transmitting station are secondary, or induced currents. In coils of this kind, the coarse winding is almost invariably termed the primary for the above reason, although many conditions exist in electrical work and in telephone work where the high resistance winding is in reality the primary coil. The circuit arrangement spoken of is shown in Figure 41, in which T is a transmitter, B a battery, P and S primary and secondary windings respectively of an induction coil, L and L the line wires, and R the receiving instrument. It is well to state here that the usual way of indicating the primary and secondary of an induction coil in diagraphic representation of electrical circuits is by an arrangement of two adjacent zigzag lines, as shown in figure 41. A current flowing in the primary winding of the induction coil produces a field of force in the surrounding space, and any changes caused by the transmitter in the strength of the current, produce changes in the intensity of this field. As the secondary winding lies in this field, these changes will, by the laws of Faraday and Henry, cause currents to flow in the secondary winding and through the line wire to the receiving instrument. In good induction coils, the electromotive forces up in the secondary coil bear nearly the same ratio. To the changes in electromotive force in the primary coil, as the number of turns in the secondary bears to the number of turns in the primary. The use of the induction coil with the transmitter accomplishes two very important results. First, it enables the transmitter to operate in a circuit of very low resistance, so that the changes in the resistance produced by the transmitter bear a very large ratio to the total resistance of the circuit. This advantage is well illustrated by contrasting the two following cases. Suppose a transmitter capable of producing a change of resistance of 1 ohm be placed directly in a line circuit whose total resistance is a 1000 ohms. A change in the resistance of the transmitter of 1 ohm will then change the total resistance of the circuit one one one-thousandth of its value, and the resulting change in the current flowing will be but one one-thousandth of its value. On the other hand, suppose the same transmitter to be placed in a local circuit as above described, the total resistance of which circuit, is five ohms. The change of one ohm in the transmitter will now produce a change of resistance of one-fifth of the total resistance of the circuit, and cause a change of one-fifth of the total current flowing it is thus seen that fluctuations in the current can be produced by a transmitter with the aid of an induction coil which are many times greater than those produced by the same transmitter without the coil the second advantage is that by virtue of the small number of turns in the primary winding and the large number in the secondary winding of the induction coil The currents generated in the secondary are of a very high voltage, as compared with those in the primary, thus enabling transmission to be effected over much greater length of line, and over vastly higher resistances than would be possible if the transmitter were forced to vary the current flowing through the entire length of the line. Neither the telephone receiver nor the transmitter, have undergone any radical changes since their early days. Various minor details have received the attention of engineers and inventors, but the magneto-telephone is still the receiver, and the variable resistances of the carbon contacts the means of transmission. The principal developments have been in the means of intercommunication. The growth of the telephone industry has been very rapid, and from being a luxury... The telephone has become a business necessity. The tendency has been toward the simplification of the subscriber's station and the improvement of the central office. The battery current for talking is now supplied in concentrated communities from the central station. Considerable trouble formerly was experienced through the deterioration of the battery at the subscriber's station. The telegraph phone or the telephonograph, is an instrument which records magnetically sounds produced at a distance. It was originated by Mr. Paulsen, a Danish inventor. Figure 43 shows the essential parts. Either a steel band is used or a long steel wire, rolled from one drum to the other, under the recording magnet which receives the talking currents and engraves them magnetically upon the steel wire. To reproduce the message... It is only necessary to pass the steel wire under a reproducing magnet connected to a telephone receiver, the reproduction being very perfect. The message may be erased from the wire by means of the obliterating magnet supplied with an alternating current. End of section 27